0: This is the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us is here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me this evening is Mr. Matt Caraccio and Jeff Abercrombie. Matt, welcome back.
1: Paul, I can't wait, man. So many exciting players on the horizon. Years moving forward. Honestly, it, it's it's really getting to that time of year where you cannot stop thinking and talking and speaking football. I'm sure everybody's spouse hates them.
0: <laughs> Jeff, how are you tonight?
2: I have a pretty understanding spouse, so everything's pretty happy at the, uh, the household here. But uh, it was a pretty crazy weekend, so there was a lot of excitement and definitely unexpected uh, surprises.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can't believe, you know, we are – we are steamrolling through this college football season and like you know we are in the thick of the playoff discussion in terms of who should be in and who's going to make it and bowl season is soon upon us and you know and then right after that man it goes right to the All-Star games and the draft circuit really hits into high gear uh but we're going to jump right into it tonight because there is a lot to talk about and so let's get right into the NFL report for this week And I think we have to start with the matchup between Liberty and Ole Miss. The right now uh, assumed top two quarterbacks in the draft class. I think Kenny Pickett's trying to change that narrative a little bit. And obviously we talked about him a lot last week in our deep dive show. Uh, But Matt Corral continues to just be very steady. And I think that's such a weird word to use for him because that was never an adjective that really fit Corral. Like, he was always that gunslinger mentality. But this year, he's really kind of harnessed that I think it's still in him and we want the, that, that moment where we want him to be aggressive. But I think him cleaning up his decision making and the turnovers and the mistakes is why I think he's going to be the QB one in this class. 20 and 27, 324 and a touchdown on the flip side. Obviously Liberty very outmanned against the old miss team. It was going to be interesting to kind of see how Malik Willis could hold up. Not that well. Three interceptions, 173 yards. Uh, did chip in with 71 yards rushing and a touchdown on the ground. I think we know he's got that dual threat capability. But we're talking about a guy, you know, coming from Liberty. It's going to be a big jump. And you know, will an NFL team, you know, be willing to invest a top five or top ten pick on him? I think that is still very much to be determined, right? Because. You know, I don't know if Zach Wilson is going to make teams a little bit gun shy about maybe the, the competition factor of it. I mean, obviously it didn't steer teams away from Josh Allen and, you know, and obviously he's been just fine. But I think that's going to be an interesting topic in debate with Malik Willis. Uh, so, so thoughts on that, guys, because I think we at least got to discuss that these two guys face up against each other this week and maybe – what do we think maybe the evaluation and the scouting process is going to do for a game like this from Malik Willis? Do we kind of just say, oh, Outmanned, Liberty can't keep up with Ole Miss? Or is this a little bit of a red flag or a potential, you know, concern that maybe could hinder his opportunity to maybe be a top 10 guy? Matt, maybe I'll kick it over to you first.
1: Yeah. You know, for me, I think that. I think it's, I don't know if red flag is necessarily the, the, the fair term. I, I think we have to, to, to kind of understand the differences between the two teams and the caliber of players, you know, that are going up against each other. And I, I think, I think the right term is, is that they have to be aware of how he performed given this outman circumstances. I mean, he didn't. He didn't really play to the point of a, you know, a total or percentage or performance where you could say to Malik Willis, hey, you know, you still held your own adamantly given the circumstances and really, you know, it was understood. You, you, you know, you threw for 150 yards, you threw for a touchdown, and that was pretty much the end of it. You know, I mean, he, he definitely had a bad game, and I think that that's something that will s- stick in some analysts' minds, I think it'll force some people back to the drawing board. I think it will make some teams a little bit um, hesitant to maybe go down that rabbit hole. Um, because, I mean, I know how, I know that, you know, players are, you know, for as much as we want to believe they're isolated from all these circumstances, they are and they aren't. They know who they're playing. It's not like they don't know they're about to go up against Old Miss. It's not like he doesn't know that he's. Going to be facing off against you know a team that is basically containing a, a, a you know the a quarterback who is basically vying for his job so to speak. So I mean, it, it's not like there weren't all the elements there for him to set the stage for him to to kind of compete at a high level. I think he just had a bad game, and I do think that it will force some analysts back to the drawing table, and I think it will make some teams hesitant. Um, so that I I definitely think it was meaningful, but do I think it was, you know, something where we have to totally destroy him, red flag time to throw him away? No, I, but I do think that it definitely will contribute to people saying, maybe I'm going to hold a little bit longer. Maybe I'm going to wait until he's outside the top 15, maybe late in the first round may not be top 10, but I I still think I see him going in and obviously round one.
0: Jeff, thoughts on this situation, whether it's Willis, whether it's more of what we've seen with Corral and just being weird word, but rock steady, never, and i never, you know, description that really fit Corral prior to this year, but now has kind of been the adjectives to describe him.
2: Yeah. On Willis, I think it's, I think Matt's right. And I think where he's getting at is it's really going to depend on who the evaluator is and and their process, because yeah, you can't some, – some people will take a look at this game, see this is his – this is him against high-level competition. Let's see how he goes. The That'll be the context that, you know, the surface level that they take with it, and they, they see a poor performance, and, you know, it'll just drop them off their boards, I think, for some. Others might dig into the nuance. They might look more – well, what, how did Malik play? What What did he do under this adversity? You know, when when he had, you know, less help and more pressure, you know, how did he respond? How did he do under, like, because everyone's going to have ad, adverse situations where you're not going to have a good game. Like, so, you know, did his fundamentals break down? Or, you know, did they like his moxie? Whatever's going to be important to them. So it, it is going to make him a more polarizing pick and but i don't think that was gonna that was already malik willis anyways i think he'll be drafted based on his traits and tools he's a traits and tools player and i do think that's probably still gonna get him drafted in the first half of round one just because someone's going to want to mold him around their team and their offense so I think um and and I might tie this back into Corral as well. Um you know with Malik Willis, you know this kind of takes this was sort of his bowl game. Um there there'll be some more stuff for him down the road, but th- this was really his stage to shine, really make his case for maybe a top 5 pick. And I'm not sure that you know you really saw that, but I think for Corral and for Pickett. And I'm not sure if you mentioned, we might get to him later, but Desmond Ritter, um, you know, there, there are some openings um, for risers in the quarterback class. And I think one of the things that we're really going to see is this is going to evolve pretty significantly down the stretch, especially as teams make their case for a playoff spot, especially as teams, you know, match up against bowl games and and in these big moments, that's really where I think you'll see these quarterbacks tested, pressure tested, and make their cases for why they should be the first or second or third guy taken in the draft.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they're fascinating points that you guys both brought up, and I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see if an NFL team buys in enough to invest that high, or do they slide a little bit? Do NFL teams kind of say, you know what, we're going to kind of, we're going to kind of put a bandaid on it. Maybe, you know, there's a lot of talk that, you know, I know it's crazy to say, but there's a lot of talk that Mitchell Trubisky is going to be in high demand after kind of sitting behind Buffalo for a year and, you know, maybe working with Brian Dable and stuff, and the team's going to give him another shot to be a starter. And, and you wonder how many, how many teams in the NFL are going to be like, we're going to take this Band-Aid route, and we're going to do that in free agency. And then maybe if a quarterback falls where we want, where we don't have to trade up, or they fall their day two, kind of like when Drew Locke fell to Denver, I wonder if this is going to be the approach. So a team in the top 10 might like Malik Willis a little bit, but maybe not. It's going to be, you know what, we're going to go for the the, the more proven player and hope that maybe Wills falls to the top of round two, or maybe the top of round two, they think about Kenny Pickett, if he's there, or Desmond Ritter, guys that you mentioned, you know, Pickett this week, 416 yards, three touchdowns, another 50 yards rushing and a touchdown against Duke, but, you know, impressive performance, Desmond Ritter, 274-2 uh, and two this week, and then Sam Howell is going to be an interesting one. How much can he flip the page, right? Because he came into the year the you know compared to Baker Mayfield, more athletic version. The first pick everyone thought was a, a lock for to be the first pick in the draft, then that he kind of fell by the wayside, not even being discussed. This week he leads UNC to a big upset over number 9 ranked Wake Forest. Over 100 yards rushing, 200 yards passing, three total touchdowns. So can he push his way back into the mix as maybe a day two guy? So do NFL teams maybe try to do something in free agency to kind of put a band-aid on things and then see how the draft plays rather than being all in like a lot of 49ers going to get Trey Lance or, you know, many teams, you know, going all in, you know, Casey coming up from a homes and, you know, all these instances where teams make trades to go up and get their guy are any of these guys going to be that? I'm not sure. And you know, a team is—I is, think it's going to take Corral high, but I don't know if this hurts Malik Willis a little bit. I have a feeling it might a little bit, and I—I I, I just feel like they might take a little bit more of a wait and see approach and maybe see where guys fall. Right? No one once upon a time nobody thought Dwayne Haskins was falling the 15. Right? And if the Redskins don't take him, who knows how fall? How far his fall is? that no one thought Drew Locke was going to day two, and, and he did. And the Broncos passed on him two times before they finally took him, which kind of probably spoke volumes on what they truly thought about him as a quarterback prospect. But I think there's going to be NFL teams that are going to have to be answering these same questions. So I think it's going to be really fascinating. Every single week I feel like we're going to check in on the quarterback position because I do believe that the it's as intriguing as we've seen, right? Because years in the past, we kind of knew by now who was going in the top five, who was going in the top 10, you know, round one. Like we knew by now, even last year, that Zach Wilson was on the trajectory to be top 10. The only uncertainty at this point last year was how high could Mac Jones go. We knew he was on the trajectory up. Alabama was playing well. There was a lot of talk by now that he could sneak into the back end of round one, and then he pushed his way all the way, you know, into the middle of round one. But this year, I think so much is to be determined. The home stretch of the college football season, bowl games, playoffs for maybe some of these teams, how it kind of unfolds. I think there is a lot going to be happening on the football field still. So we're going to be checking in on it every single week. Guys, any final thoughts there about the quarterbacks before I do a little rapid fire on some skill players?
2: Just as you mentioned, you know, some teams might not be all in, you know, they might try to wait and see if they can get a bargain on, you know, maybe a top of the day two. I don't know that I've ever seen I I can't recall the last time a team being half in half out, right? Like on the fence or like hedging their, hedging their bets against a quarterback prospect of that actually and ending up working out for them.
0: Yeah. I mean, you don't usually see teams, Wait to run two to pan out. I mean, like Colin Kaepernick was on a trajectory that looked like it was going to pan out for the 49ers, right? He went top of the second. You know, the, there's some instances of guys. I think, I think the Denver one is, is such a good one to bring up, though, because it's like it has to speak volumes. And listen, at this point now, maybe the, for a while it looked like the Giants were right with picking Daniel Jones where they did. But on the flip side, everyone was like, oh, they could have waited to 17. The one thing I did give the credit the Giants for is if they liked him enough to take him at 17 and thought he was going to be their franchise quarterback, I don't begrudge them and hold it against them for taking him at six. That's not enough of a gap. If you think he's your future franchise quarterback and you think he's going to be a pro bowl caliber player, then you take the guy, right? And the Giants didn't want to risk him not being there at 17. So they took him. What the Denver did, they traded up, they took a linebacker, they took a different player. Like that kind of speaks like, well, they weren't really all in on him. So I think that, you know, kind of set up Drew Locke as, yeah, they like me a little bit, but I guess not too much. And I think that's what you're kind of saying. That rarely works itself out. So let's spin this over to the, the receivers and the running backs a little bit. Jerry Ealy, welcome back into our lives. We've been waiting for this. 10 carries, 115 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Kenneth Walker, who we did the deep dive in, continues uh, to perform well, 146 yards and a touchdown. I was impressed with Isaiah Spiller's performance this week against a good Auburn defense, 112 yards and a touchdown. I think we're talking about right there, Walker Spiller. They're in the mix to be the second, third running backs off the board, probably after Brees Hall. Uh, Jerry Neely still intrigues me as a day two type guy, because I think he can be the modern day NFL running back where he's not going to be a bell cow, but you can do a lot of different things with him. Think like a chase Edmonds plus type player, more athleticism. I think that could be a Jerry Neely type, uh, the wide receiver position, uh, a blast from the past, Charleston Rambo, big game this week, seven catches, 210 yards and one touchdown, former big time. Uh, prospect at Oklahoma, obviously transferred to Miami. Uh, David Bell just continues. Again, I think there's some uncertainty in what the NFL thinks about David Bell, but all he does is dominate every single week. 11 catches, 217 yards, and a touchdown for him. We talked about the Alabama guys last week, in particular, Jamison Williams against LSU this week. 10 catches, 160 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, John Mechie, 9 catches, 73 yards, and a touchdown. Impressive performances by the wide receivers, but Alabama could not really get it going. Very ho hum, 20 to 14 victory over a not very talented this year LSU team. And then uh, I've been talking about him a lot this year. And another impressive performance from Wendell Robinson of Kentucky 13 catches, 166 yards, and one touchdown. He's kind of morphed himself into what we thought he was going to be when he first got to college, which was this offensive playmaking weapon. And it took him kind of getting out of Nebraska, focusing just on the wide receiver position. And we're kind of seeing it morph this year into this superstar of a player. So Matt, let me bring it over to you. Kind of the floor is kind of yours for any of those guys that I talked about. If you kind of want to hit on any of them uh, from the running backs of Ely, Walker, Spiller, the receivers, Rambo, Bell, Alabama guys Robinson anything kind of jump out at you
1: no I mean I, I, think you mentioned, I think you mentioned most of them in terms of the big highlights I'm going to kind of stick with Wandale Robinson and Jerry on Ely just because you know I, I feel like when it comes to um, I think when it comes to what what intrigues us most about doing things like this you know having shows like this and and why Saturday to Sunday even started it was because we just enjoyed the idea of kind of combing through kind of the, the 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 mountain of players and and really trying to understand what is it that makes great players great and and trying to find those qualities in in different players as time goes on and and being able to project maybe you know where they might be or how well they might do in the NFL I think that's kind of and I know that's for you Paul and Jeff and and, and I'm sure for everybody else that's listening but that's that's what keeps the fire lit you know for me every time we sit down and and we get on the mic or we we put on film or we watch football on Saturdays or Sundays. I I think Wandale Robinson and Jerry on Ely are players who, as Paul, you put it, they, in Jerry on case, they're, they're showing up in Wandale's case. They're starting to crystallize and come into form. Um, I think those players are the players that we need to hold on to because I don't think they're going to necessarily go incredibly high. I think they're going to be readily available on waiver wires galore. Comes your comes your you know off season when you're going into your rookie drafts, and I think these are the players you keep starred and and tallied. Like I still have Devin Duvernay tallied and starred on my like waiver wire, waiting for him to finally like emerge and getting twelve targets. Like you know, it it may not ever happen. The point is, is that I believe I see something in his game that would allow him to translate to the next level. And it's just how I play and enjoy fantasy football. And it's how I enjoy the game. Jerry on Ely to me is a very versatile back. Um, he was one of the best backs, if not the best back in the country when he came out of high school. And I think there was a lot of opportunity for him you know, to go and play multiple sports at the professional level, specifically baseball, it didn't really work out for him. I think that played around a little with his concentration and where he was going to focus his game and his opportunities when he went to Ole Miss. Now that it crystallized a little bit, I think he's making up a little bit here and there for lost time. He's probably got his eyes set on the draft now. And he's realizing if he's going to take that step, he's going to have to to kind of really bring his A game, so to speak, each and every, each and every day. And, and that's not to say that, He didn't know that before, but I think now it's really in his crosshairs. And Wandale Robinson, Paul, you put it perfectly. I think he never got a chance to be the wide receiver concentration that he wanted to do, and now he does have that opportunity. These guys are very open field, dynamic, versatile, and skillful players. Wandale and on Ely are guys that I think are still just on the rise. I don't think their ceiling has been met. Now, will they reach it? That's yet to be determined. But are they definitely players full of potential just because of where they came from, what they've done in the past, and where they could go? Absolutely. And I think there are beautiful players to hold on to and think about when you're in your rookie drafts this year. So those are guys that I'm just locked on to from a versatility standpoint, from a skill standpoint, from a potential standpoint. I think those guys are going not going to go very high in the draft. I think they're going to go they're destined for that round 3 type player and I think they could go. That's where I think I'm going to focus on.
0: And I'll say this, get ready to buckle in because we we're, we're going to be fighting the fight for Wendell Robinson and Ananias Smith. Uh, Because the analytics community will hate both of those guys because they didn't play wide receiver exclusively. So they're going to be blamed for why didn't they climb the depth chart earlier? Why didn't they break out? Why didn't they receive a larger market share? Why did it take the senior year, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there will be a lot of pushback on draft Twitter for the likes of Wendell Robinson and Aenea Smith when the time comes, because those guys didn't break out at 18 or 19 or 20. They broke out their final seasons in college football or, you know, or whatever, I, you know, so it, it's going to, there's going to be a lot of pushback on both those guys, but I think they're both skilled players. Uh, I'll be, I'll be uh, championing the cause for both of them. Jeff, any thoughts on any of those names that I brought up or, or kind of follow up Matt or anything?
2: um oh, Matt you you like just stole <laughs> those were the two names that i had honed in on uh on our sheet here because i think they they are candidates for maybe my favorite movers in the class um and and it is just going to be really fun like i am going to take a lot of joy when i break down their tape um and just i like that you use the word versatility i think that's a really good way to uh communicate a, that to you know people's minds, um, but just the way that you know that they are gonna take a vast array of problems and apply their skills and talents to uh, t- to win on the football field. So you said it perfectly. I can't really um, I can't really expand with any with adding anything more. Um, I will just say like with David Bell just being a monster, And and again, like it just it's those Kelvin Harmon vibes, right, Paul? Like if there's just that not that buzz in the draft, even though, you know, this type this player is someone that you know, like I still have a heart out for. Like he's he's playing this position, maybe not in the way that with all the tools that the NFL values, which is a shame, because you know I think those players just don't always get a fair enough chance uh you know to really shine and um you know i i do really hope that that's not going to be the case with with bell i, I do really hope that you know we see him with some day two capital uh, otherwise it, it you know it's going to be an uphill climb and we see that hit sometimes but it's just so much harder
0: yeah i think that's i think you just hit the head there If he, if he can get day two draft capital, he's in business. It's if he falls past that is where we just see it. We, we, we just see it year in and year out. Could there be an outlier that makes it? Yeah. I mean, here, Saturday, Sunday, we're all about the film watching. Right. But we're also not naive enough. That's our, our own personal opinion on a player. We're not naive enough to think that draft capital doesn't matter. That is something that Matt and I have talked about here at Saturday Sunday for years. And it's why sometimes some of our favorite prospects, when they don't get drafted or when they fall too late on day three, we hate to see that, right? Because we know that the climb, and Matt, we're going to talk about them later, so we don't have to get into them now, but it's why we we, we yearn for the Donovan Peoples-Jones to get a chance, right? And it's hard. Everything's got to break right depth chart, injuries. Guys, dad's got to go on social media and make posts and make videos. All the things that need to happen for Donovan Peoples Jones to maybe move up the depth chart. And then he's got to ball out this year to maybe hold on to that top two status, or he'll just get pushed back down the depth chart again because he doesn't have that draft capital. It's so hard for these guys who are day three guys to have long standing and long lasting power. Right. And to make it and to stay there and to, to really fight that fight, which is why draft capital matters so much and why in rookie drafts, people got to are very naive sometimes when they let personal bias and when they let what their heavy thoughts have been for years, impact them way too much and we talk about it every year we talked about it a lot last year you know with people taking him on Ross St. Brown too high and some of the running backs too high and and stuff like that so
2: well if I know, could just, just jump in here yeah. Paul like I think people are saying like how, how can Bell be a day two pick how, how I mean I mean maybe they're like okay like maybe he doesn't get he gets kind of pushed out around one but how does he get to day three right and the crazy thing is we see different teams value some exceptional trait like speed or, you know, J.J. or Sega Whiteside with contested catchability. ability. There's, there's just like one thing that they're like honing in on. And, um, and and that sort of pushes these really well-rounded, talented wide receivers, you know, out of their consideration because, they got to get a two-two well style burner, and and it's just it doesn't make sense. <laughs> I wouldn't do it. Um, we don't sit in front offices, and you know we don't have. You know we're we're not falling in love with this one thing that this one player does that we just have to have, and um, yeah, I, I really hope it's not going to be the case for for Bell, but
0: yeah, and I think listen. Listen, there was enough guys that went last year on on day two for wide receivers that I, I find it very hard, even in another great class, that David Bell doesn't belong in the top one hundred. I mean, I just I just don't see it. I I I don't see how it's not how he doesn't belong there. So I hope he does. Uh, but once upon a time, Calvin Harmon, the name that I keep talking about, I thought he was one of the best three or four wide receivers. For me, at one point he was my wide receiver one in that draft class. I didn't think he was gonna be a round one pick. But because of the questions about his athleticism, but I didn't see a scenario where he didn't go on day two, in particular round two, and then it was like round five. So yeah, my
2: little favorite there was um, Stanley Morgan too. Oh, just we just loved like, him here. We loved just him
0: really. The route running, runner, the play strength. Yeah. Yep, we yeah. we were big fans about him, and I knew I thought it. he was he, a he was perfect married
2: Pittsburgh wide receiver, just you know gritty, you know tough like. Mm- Place. like 50% Heinz Ward. Like that's what we I know. Don't. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, but, but again, again, these guys fall and then, you know, you know, you're in trouble. He, you know, like we can't be naive and be like, Oh, we're taking him in the third round of our rookie draft. Cause we really, really liked them on film. It doesn't work like that. Uh, and I think sometimes people let their bias impact them a little too much in rookie drafts. So let's take this over to a real quick uh, Debbie slant report. Uh, Matt, I had eyes on the Ohio state game this week and you know it's tough not to walk away from watching Ohio State and be like wow what's in the what's on the on the horizon uh in terms of impact players and and i came away saying you know CJ Stroud besides maybe Bryce Young in terms of you know quarterback of Alabama i'm not sure there's a better underclassman quarterback prospect besides Bryce Young and Caleb Williams uh besides CJ Stroud who had some ups and downs but i think that's normal 405 yards this week two more touchdowns uh Travion Henderson, we've already talked about that. Besides Bijan Robinson, I'm not sure there's a more talented running back skill wise in college football than, than Travion Henderson, and he is that dual capability. You're seeing from you know early in his collegiate career how much of an impact he can make as a receiver, and then Jackson Smith Najigba, 15 catches, 240 yards, and one touchdown. I think we're. I think the the, the question has to start being brought up. How high should this this guy be going in terms of underclassman wide receiver rankings? I mean, are we thinking that maybe it should basically be, you know, Keishon Booty in LSU, and then should we be thinking about Najigba moving all the way up to basically be maybe the second underclassman, you know, wide receiver in the country, like ahead of guys right of Raheem Jarrett, Marvin Mims? Should, is that where Najigba is right now, or on the trajectory to going?
1: yeah i mean i i agree with i agree with jackson smith najiba being a guy who should be climbing excessively high i mean the only guys that i think you could still kind of in your mind kind of look at like you said was you know kayshawn boot from uh booty from lsu and then after that i mean i'm kind of really hard pressed to get a lot more guys that have really showed out this year that deserve that type of consideration um Listen, coming out of high school, he was a guy that was ultra, ultra skillful as a right route runner, and he would get open at will, but there was no inclination that this guy was going to necessarily, um, produce this quickly at this high of a level. I liked him out of high school. I had him, I think as my fourth, third or fourth, it was third, fourth, or fifth. One of those, one of those three, um, one of those three wide receivers, Um, in that class. So, I mean, it's not like he didn't show out on film, but I I think that he certainly has taken his game to a new height. And I I think, you know, when it comes to, you know, Travion Henderson, um, he's, he's just been everything that we could have hoped for. And more, I mean, his high school film was just a popcorn fest in terms of overall, um, athletic talent, ability and, and capability and skill in solving again, multiple problems as a runner. He was just everywhere. Um, he is absolutely one of the most dynamic, you know, running backs in the country. I think regardless of who we're talking about, um, whether they're <laughs> draftable this year or not, um, because as, you know, Jeff and I and you, Paul, have talked about many times, you know, Bijan Robinson is, is in that discussion to be one of the more talented backs that, that maybe have come out of college, you know, like he's going to be in that discussion. Um, Trevion Henderson's kind of his, his trajectory is right there. And I'm, I'm very excited for where his potential is. So yeah, I mean, to your point, CJ Stroud at the end, I mean, CJ Stroud was absolutely a fantastic high school quarterback. I was actually a little shocked that it took him this long to get the type of momentum that he's built. Um, this was a guy that I, I thought was better than Bryce Young. I had him slightly better than Bryce Young. Um, an edge, small edge on him. Again, credit card thin, razor thin edge, as most of these discussions are. Um, but he, I had him ahead of CJ. I said CJ Stroud ahead of Bryce Young, if only by a little bit. And I thought for a moment it was going to be like, wow, I, I don't know. I thought this guy was going to take the world by storm. I thought everything was going to work out for him. And now it seems to be coming together. And I think they have a nice little quarterback class brewing right now in college football. And I, you know, are they all going to be? you know, the next, you know, the next Russell Wilsman's, you know, Baker Mayfield's Kyler Murray's. I I don't know. I don't, I think that's unfair to even discuss right now, but do I think that there's at least a franchise quarterback among them? Yeah, there is. There is one of them will be. And it's just about seeing where that kind of, where that kind of dust settles right now. I know this is kind of recency bias, but right now I, God, I love Caleb Williams. God, I love Caleb Williams. I see like a, a very Kyler Murray meets Justin Fields type of like, thing from him. Powerful, strong, amazing runner. I mean, he is an amazing runner. Um, and then just he can flick a football down the field. I I love Caleb Williams. So that there's where I'm living, and that's probably recency bias. Um, but I liked him better than the other two out of high school. Again, razor thin edge, but to see him doing it this quickly on this stage, that's the guy I'm targeting. Um in, in any league that I'm in. And I'll let somebody else take C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. And I will target C.J. Williams, uh, Caleb Williams, and that will be the guy I'm going to go after. Um, so, yeah, I- I'm excited. There's so much to like about this quarterback class that's brewing.
0: Yeah, and and Williams is the perfect transition to head over to the NFL Rookie Report because, as you mentioned about Caleb Williams, kind of giving you vibes of Justin Fields and Kyler Murray. Justin Fields played his best game as a pro last night on Monday night football, almost single handedly brought them back to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers, 17 of 29, 291 yards and a touchdown, 45 yards on the ground. But you saw some of those wow moments that we knew. And we've been saying the reason why we said the margin between him and Trevor Lawrence was really small was the glimpses that you saw last night and if I'm a Jets fan and I'm watching Monday Night Football last night, I am just sitting there and pounding my head against the couch or a pillow, something soft, so I don't do some damage to my head. Because I don't want to write off and say Zach Wilson's not going to be good because I think that's way too premature. But we said it. This isn't hyperbole. This isn't you know you know arm you know armchair couch quarterbacking after the fact. We said this from day one. There was nothing in Zach Wilson's game in college that should have put him ahead of Justin Fields. And I think we're starting to see glimpses of why Justin Fields is so special. We haven't seen many, if any, glimpses yet. Very few glimpses of Zach Wilson. And Justin Fields was just a more polished player. He had more athletic ability. He had more arm talent and we're starting to see that so really impressive performance why don't i i, I kind of bring you guys in on justin fields because i know you guys probably have some quick thoughts on that and then we'll kind of run through the other ones in, in in kind of a group form so jeff let me bring it over to you any thoughts on fields i know we've been talking about him every single week so it doesn't have to be you know a long discussion but we we have to talk about you know what we saw a little bit last night
2: well i was Pretty uh, rough on Zach Wilson last week, so I, I don't have to uh, do the comparison's sake. Um, you know, I will for a little bit because you know I, I was when watching that game. I think I was texting you guys. I'm like, this is, you know, this is his moment. Like we are really seeing the breakout, and we we saw it a little bit against San Francisco here and there. Um, but just you know, those deep balls were connecting. Finally, he was getting you know where I was really the most impressed was that uh, as Matt alluded to last week, they got him out, they got him rolling, they got him in his comfort zone and Fields is finally getting the scheme support that I think he needs at this stage of his in his career. So, you know, we're not talking about, you know, some extreme scheme at uh, scheme and, you know, play style agnostic quarterback, like, you know, you've got to give Justin Fields enough support to play his game, and and it isn't a, you know, it is a pretty specific styled game, but when you give him that support, you almost beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, um, and and that's phenomenal, and that might just be where he is now. That doesn't mean he's gonna he 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 will grow beyond that. It's, it was kind of like Kyler. Kyler needed that. Kyler Murray needed that, you know, when, when he was a rookie, he needed that scheme support and there were some bumps. And then, you know, he's grown as a player where he could be much more scheme versatile. And I think you'll get there with fields, but for the time being, giving him this support is what's going to allow him to grow and develop. And, and honestly, I, I mean, I do have criticisms for Zach Wilson, but you can't, you can't say he's getting that either right now, right? Like, so it's an uphill battle for Zach Wilson, you know, even though there are some very merited concerns, um, but that was kind of the same criticism. It's, we, we were reserving judgment on fields until we actually got to see him used in an environment that was conducive to his success. So, you know, while I do have criticism for Wilson, I think the same type of restraint should apply let's see him also hopefully get in an environment uh conducive to his skill set
1: well you know what i i mean i want to jump in right there because i think that this reminds me of a very similar discussion we've had in the past regarding josh allen and while josh allen it, i mean this is probably not the most opportunistic opportunistic time to talk about him after the game he had this past weekend but um i do think that it merits a little bit of, of uh a comparison because Josh Allen in Buffalo, I think Buffalo and what they did with Josh Allen to get him to where he even is this year is a real like case study in how to shepherd a quarterback from, you know, college to the pro game. You know, they did a lot of things for him, I thought early on in terms of the way they constructed their team, the types of, you know, pressures and schemes they put him under where they allowed him to kind of get used to the pro game. That doesn't mean somebody has to follow their recipe, but I do think that to your point, Jeff, I think they did things that allowed him to get into his comfort zone from like a perceptual motor workspace. What he could perceive and act upon were more in unison with the types of problems that he saw in college. You know, Justin Fields, for the most part, Ohio State didn't have him on the run per se, but he certainly wasn't a statue. And his freedom and ability to work You know, in the pocket, outside the pocket was well within, you know, his toolbox. And he was able to, you know, break it off and run when he needed to. And you just didn't see that earlier in the season. You saw a little bit, you know, more restraint. And in the last game, you saw a lot more of him getting his legs under him, allowing him to see this, you know, the actual field a little bit better. And I think people forget that. You know, when we're moving and running, we see the things around us very differently than when we're standing stationary. It puts our bodies in a different kind of mode of understanding and problem solving. And I just think that those types of things need to be, I think, at least accounted for when we talk about the successes or failures of a player. At the next level. I mean, hell, we do it with wide receivers. Oh, he's not really good at that particular route. I don't want to, I don't know why they're doing it. Well, then, if you recognize that, well, then take a quarterback who knows how to be on the move and see the world and stick him in a box and tell him to throw a football. It's just not going to work. It, you're not giving them, as you put it, Jeff, very eloquently, the scheme support, or better yet, just as you said, you're not giving them the view of the world they're most commonly used to seeing. That doesn't mean that it can't change. And it can't develop Josh Allen's has, it just means that you got to at least allow them to be able to see the world through the lens that they're most comfortable with right now. Zach Wilson, honestly, it's the same thing. He's not getting a lot of support there either. So I I think that was a really astute point, Jeff. and And I think that's something that we really have to be more cognizant of before we start either, you know, judging players and saying good, bad, terrible, not great, give him a moment. Like I know we're not there yet, Paul, but when we get to DPJ, um, Donovan Peoples-Jones, when we get there, he's finally starting to see some opportunities that are conducive with things he did in high school, which is when he was last amazing. And that's where I think we got to kind of think about these guys as they transition a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I mean, you guys make a lot of really good points there. And listen, I don't think... Wilson's not a a throw in the towel yet, lost cause, but it's just we haven't, you'd like to think we've seen a little, we we have seen some more glimpses right now, right? We've Mm. seen some glimpses from Trevor, even though the surrounding issues there in Jacksonville has been horrendous. We've seen some glimpses now from fields and we've seen development from fields over the last couple of weeks. We've seen Mac Jones be able to Do what New England has asked him to do and run an offense in a way that can lead to winning football at times this year for the Patriots and and smart decision making. So it's just you kind of want to wish that you would see a little bit more from him. And and that's where it's a little bit uh, up in up in the air in terms of. You know, hoping that they just didn't miss again, and this time leave Justin Fields out there, and you know, and and not even really didn't even really seem like they were all that into him at all, which was was a little bit baffling. So let's take this over to the rest of the 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 rookies I wanted to talk about this week, and I got a couple running backs and a couple wide receivers and a tight end. Khalil Herbert kind of got pushed right. We said we couldn't put the genie back in the bottle, but the Bears kind of tried to do that last night. Only four touches for 13 yards for Khalil Herbert. I, I know you don't want to, you know, lose the starter shouldn't lose his job due to an injury. I get all that, but I just kind of thought with a buy upcoming that they would have maybe eased Montgomery back in and still had Khalil Herbert to be a pretty significant part of the offense. That wasn't really the case this week. Uh I think if another I think you could potentially use this opportunity to maybe try to buy Khalil Herbert in Dynasty Leagues. Maybe, you know, try to say, oh listen, he's just a backup, he's just a reserve. I still would want to get him on my team. Uh, Javante Williams, one of his best games of the year: seventeen carries, 111 yards. Not going to probably see that breakout until next year when when Melvin's there. But you can't watch Javante Williams and not think young Mark Ingram or Chris Carson type. That's what I when I watch Javante Williams, that's what I see. Like young, dominant Mark Ingram and Chris Carson at his peak in terms of just delivering punishment, absorbing contact, running through contact. Uh, functional receiver, good in pass pro things that those guys are really good in uh, the tight end position. Your window is going to slam shut if it hasn't already soon on, on buying Pat Fryermoot because there's not a lot of tight ends to get excited about in terms of long-term in terms of dynasty. Uh, but Fryermoot really got lost in the shuffle last year with Kyle Pitts, right? Before last year started, Pat Fryermoot was thought to be the number one tight end by most people, right? The most complete tight end, potentially the number one tight end, baby Gronk, and then you know Kyle Pitts' ascension, well deserved. Kind of pushed Pat Fryer mood to unrealistically being compared to Kyle Pitts, and Kyle Pitts, like we said, is a unicorn. But he's showing that he, you know, it was a very high caliber prospect himself better than the Cole Komets of the world, maybe a better, you know, ahead of maybe even guys like Hunter Henry. I think he's on the fast track to be a, a rock solid tight end one, maybe never top five, but could he get into, you know, right after that TJ Hawkinson group? Yeah, I think he can. Like, I think that's where the trajectory for Pat Fryer moved in the next couple of years. And then at the wide receiver position, it was nice to see Devonta Smith have a breakout game, right? We just talked about him not long ago. Should there be any concerns five catches 116 yards and a touchdown. Uh Elijah Moore has his first big breakout game of the season. 7 catches, 84 yards and two touchdowns. That was good to see. I still think he's going to be a very impactful player, a guy who's going to give defenses fits with his ability and to get open, separation quickness and route running. And then you know, I'd be remiss, like we talked about Kadarius Tony plenty when he was doing well. So we should acknowledge that the last two weeks, he's barely been involved in the offense. And then whether that is to his, him and inconsistency, rookie struggles, it very well could be. There's a lot of Giants beat reporters, reporters that think that he's just been gutting it out because of the lack of healthy wide receivers and I don't know, it, it's tough to get a, it's tough to get a feel for it, right? Cause we had that three week stretch where he was really good against new Orleans. Then he was an un- unbelievable against Dallas. And then that first drive against the Rams, where he looked like he was on the path to having another 10 catch 200 yard type game. And then since that injury, He's barely touched the ball. They're not they're not manufacturing touches. They're not getting him the ball in space. I mean, he's done some throws which like he just kind of like waits in the backfield. So it's been very weird usage. So I don't know if it's just the up and down and inconsistency of rookies that we've seen throughout the year for just about everybody not named Jamar Chase or if there's more uh you know behind the scenes in terms of the injury that's kind of curtailing what they're doing with him there. But obviously big step back uh, from a couple weeks ago uh, when it looked like he was maybe going to be a dominant wide receiver the rest of this year in terms of fantasy. Uh, And now it's a little bit more of a wait and see approach if you probably have him on your roster in terms of whether or not to play him. Personally, if somebody thinks those other weeks were just an outlier, and this is more of the inconsistency. I would use it as an opportunity to buy because I'm all in on the talent based on what what he's already seen. So, so Jeff, let me bring it uh, over to you. Thoughts here on any of these other rookies, or if there's anybody else I didn't bring up that you kind of want to throw into the mix?
2: Yeah, well, you know we we talked deep uh, about Kenneth Walker uh, last week, and and that made that reminded me of Javante Williams, and and then it's given me a much you know, just a little like warm fuzzy about Javante Williams now, and and I think you mentioned Carson um, slash Ingram, but he had a run last week that was, you know, pretty much hearkening Marshawn Lynch out there, um, just surrounded by defenders, trucking through them, and then all of a sudden they're all on the ground and he's still running. Oh, <laughs> that was that was fun to watch. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm with you though. Like trade deadline's gone, Melvin Gordon's still in there. They're splitting. You know they'll both be what they've been, and you know we'll see we'll see more of Javante down the line. But but it's a bright future. It's it's just if you're patient enough. Um, I'll take a little bit of my time to touch on Elijah more because you know I, I mentioned last week he was six for six for you know eighty yards or whatever it was as well. You know, and he was kind of starting to to break out a little bit and. You know, I, I put that on Mike White, um, court, you know, Mike White as a quarterback start there. And, um, you know, and then, then we had White and Josh Johnson, you know, throwing him the ball again, you know, this past week. And he's got more, you know, he's got more touchdowns. Or he's got more passes from White and Josh Johnson than he really has in two games than he has from Zach Wilson in five. And. I highlighted this at the beginning of the year. The type of passer Zach Wilson is—you know, sideline kind of acrobatics, just kind of pin it for a, for an acrobatic toe toe dragging catch for Corey Davis versus really being able to read the field and and get it to his playmakers, you know, in the in the open field we're seeing the same thing with Michael Carter as well, right? Like Michael Carter is getting all of this usage dump offs in the open field and allowing, you know, the, the Jets, the Mike, Mike White and the Jets, they're allowing him to, you know, make plays for them, be the engineer of the offense, like put, instead of trying to put it all on his own shoulders, you know, White's out there letting his playmakers make the play, getting the ball to them, you know, distributing, Mac Jones-like, Steve Nash-like, you know, getting it out there. And, you know, Zach Wilson is is playing the Zach Wilson game, which just isn't meshing with those guys. And I don't know if we're going to come back and see Zach Wilson off his injury and him digest and understand and learn this. It's just it's not something we've seen from him in the past, and I don't don't know that like you're going to develop that sitting on the bench watching other guys do it. I, I mean, I I hope he takes that lesson and and understands that there's there's supporting casts around him that can make his job a lot easier. Um, you know, and 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 maybe the coaching staff takes a little bit of lessons and, and sort of almost forces him to to kind of take these scripted throws and and engineering the offense you know, rather than trying to hit the dagger every single play, keep the offense on schedule. I mean, we talked about Justin Fields. That was an area of growth we saw from his first start to this last game was, and it's something we saw from like we've seen as Lamar has grown over his time as a passer too. just taking the five yard gain, the eight yard gain on second and long, right? A a three yard gain on second and long or second and 18. Let's get eight yards and make it third and 10 rather than third and 18, where we have to try to get the first down where there's almost no place that you could run to do that. Those are the types of situations that Zach Wilson is not able to get, to take advantage of and get into that. We saw growth with Justin Fields this last week and maybe it just takes a little bit longer to click, right? Like that type of – the type of how a quarterback plays is is very different in the NFL than I think they're used to in the college game, right? Like the college game, you're seeing these big plays every single drive. They're scoring on these 50-yard passes, and and it's probably in an adjustment, and we just haven't seen it from Zach Wilson yet. And I think when he's back, I, I we're going to have to see him – make those adjustments because I'm worried Elijah Moore is going to kind of fade back away until Zach Wilson's able to pick that up.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you're bringing up a lot of good points there. The, the, the chemistry or the, how they mesh doesn't really fit right now in terms of what Zach Wilson does, what he wants to do. And and you can make the same case about Michael Carter, right? Who we talked about previously. And, and Matt, before I bring it over to you, I I, I did want to make note on here you know, because we do always talk about like, oh, draft capital and draft capital. And and Michael Carter was one of those weird ones that he never really seemed to be a fourth round pick. Right. That was I thought, I thought that was stunning on draft weekend based on everything leading up to the draft. My own personal takes, but also just the draft experts out there. And I think it was Jim Nagy went on Twitter, you know, director of the Senior Bowl. And he said that everybody had a day two grade on Michael Carter. Everybody who was down at the Senior Bowl. And he only fell to day three because of some injury concerns. I don't think that was very public. That was news to me when he tweeted that out. So so there are sometimes instances where context is needed. I didn't think there was much of a difference between Javante Williams and Michael Carter. Different style players for sure. But I thought they were very both worthy of being day two guys. And then when Javante Williams went top of day two, And Michael Carter fell all the way to round four. I thought that was really weird that there was a two full round gap from early round two to early round four. And there might have been now more medicals that caused that to happen, which I think makes a little bit more sense based on everything we were hearing up until uh, draft weekend. Matt, any thoughts on if you want to talk about Michael Carter or any of the rookies that either I talked about or Jeff kind of expanded upon as well?
1: Honestly, I think you guys covered it pretty well. I think the the, the only rookie that kind of stood out to me and and guys to to kind of take into consideration is you know when we talk about you know this tight end class and and really what to make sense of and how to make sense of them. I think Paul, you hit the nail on the head. That door for Pat Fryermuth is rapidly closing if it hasn't slammed closed already. And I think at a position, in my opinion, you know I equate this to taking this purely away from the the world of performance evaluation and scouting and looking at this purely from fantasy football and fantasy sports perspective this is like getting the shortstop that hits home runs is getting a tight end that could really produce for you and right now there really isn't that many that are producing at a clip that are commiserate you know, with the likes of Travis Kelsey or the likes of, in his prime or currently right now, even if you want to talk about it, like the TJ Hawkinson, Mark Andrews, and those guys, we don't have guys Dallas Goddard. So I mean, we don't have a lot of those guys that have those elite premium upsides. And when you see one that potentially could be the guy that could kind of go out there and make his name like Pat Fryermuth, who's already doing it, who did it in college and who's now translating to the next level I think he had to pull out all the stops to go get him. You know, I really do. And I think that's a player you have to go after. And I would honestly keep people's eyes open to that and say, I think a great tight end on the team on your fantasy football team can really be a difference maker when it comes to your league.
0: Yeah. I think you bring up a bunch of good points there. And, you know, Frymuth is one of those guys that I just think people got, they undersold him too much leading into uh, rookie drafts and even the NFL draft because we were we're trying to compare him to Kyle Pitts and it it wasn't really a fair comparison. They're basically, Kyle Pitts is basically a wide receiver designated as a tight end and Pat Fryermoot is more of a traditional tight end. And if we were comparing Pat Friarmoot to TJ Hawkinson's and Noah Fance and those people, I think the vibe around him might have been very different. So let's let's close out tonight with the Dynasty Fantasy Report. And I'm gonna I'm gonna keep this very tight tonight to six wide receivers that, you know, you don't have to talk about all of them, but 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 kind of pick and choose your spots of guys that I, you know, as I watch football this week, these were the guys that for whatever reason kind of stood out to me positively or negatively. One was OBJ cleared waivers. Could you imagine there was a, a a moment a, a few years ago that we thought OBJ would be released and clear waivers. By the time people listen to this show, he might've picked his new destination. There's some rumors tonight going around that the Patriots have reached out to him. I, I get why. I'm not sure I would do that to Mac Jones, but that's a different story for a different time. Uh, but w- where do we possibly value OBJ for, for dynasty right now? Second, Brandon Ayuk looks like he's slowly turning the corner. In San Francisco, is that an opportunity to buy? Is it an opportunity to hold? Do you use it as an opportunity to maybe get out because you maybe can get something a little bit more for him now, and you still have long term concerns that San Francisco doesn't really like him. Uh, so that stood out to me. Donovan Peoples Jones, we kind of brought him up before. Can he seize this opportunity and kind of? put a stranglehold on being a top two wide receiver for the Browns or is his time, you know, where he's going to get that opportunity going to fade by next year. And they're going to put resources in the draft and free agency. That's going to shoot him right back down to like fourth on the depth chart, or should he be a guy that we're targeting as a buy low in dynasty Fort, LaVisca Chanel. Do we think that he's to blame? or the scheme is to blame because this was not what we thought we were getting from LaVisca Chenault this year. So I think there's a lot of question marks surrounding LaVisca Chenault. And then the best two at a bunch right now, Marquise Brown just continues to develop into a more complete, a more volume-based receiver. Now, will that continue as Rashad Bateman continues to, you know, morph into a bigger part of that offense? I think it's possible because I think we're seeing a shift in terms of Lamar Jackson and that Baltimore offense. Now, next year, if J.K. Dobbins or another running back is there, do they kind of morph back away from that? Maybe. But if Lamar Jackson has a lot of success this year, throwing the ball all over the field to Brown and Bateman and Mark Andrews, that might be the new norm there. And then the running game just complements it rather than kind of is the driving force behind that offense. And then Justin Jefferson, having a very good year, but not a great elite year that we may have thought. Should there be just a smither of concerns that maybe we pushed him to the top, the tippy top of the dynasty wide receiver boards after last year, rightfully so, and maybe should we have a little bit of pause to say, maybe he's got to be moved down a little bit till we see another one of those monster years. I'm not saying that's the case. I'm saying, is it a question that we should be having? So Jeff, let me bring it over to you again. You don't have to talk about all six of them. You kind of pick and choose your spots. Maybe Matt can kind of uh, volley up on some of the names that maybe you didn't talk about or or expand upon what you did. Uh, But I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on this to close out the night.
2: So Matt, how much are you going to pay me to let you talk about Donovan (laughs)
0: Peoples-Jones?
1: I was going to say, Jeff, what he just said to you was, talk about everybody except Donovan Peoples-Jones. Um and then that'll be fine. I kind of no. figured. I figured Jeff
0: would just was gonna just not talk about him.
1: <laughs> well, I'd
2: love to talk about him because I I love him too. But um
0: no but no no, I, I think it's a great. No no I think,
2: no, I've got other. I've got other guys to talk about. No, You're I need do a it. great job.
1: We're we're arguing over Donis vs Jones, which is amazing because you know what? I think he should be at the top of the dynasty rankings. But wait, that's <laughs> another story. For... <laughs> well, we're
2: we're already flying the 2022 flag. It just came early, and, yeah, and that's, that's a good right. lead-in for for OBJ because. Yeah, I think you said it well. Like who'd have thought that he cleared waivers? And and I just don't think he's gonna make an impact to wherever he does land, at least from your like fantasy landscape landscapes. Because if he was gonna walk in and have a noted impact to whatever team he walked in and and their receiving core or whatever, they would have claimed him, you know. Like if he was gonna factor into somebody some team's immediate plans, you know, to make a playoff push. They would have put a claim on on him. Maybe there's some financial stuff there too. The seven million dollars. I just if he's that guy, uh, and I just I don't. He hasn't played that way for four years. I, I he's still a good player. I I do think I'm I'm very intrigued to see where he goes. Like you you said, New England and Mac Jones, and and I feel you there, Paul. Uh, his his preferred place is green bay
0: that they don't should seem be enamored place. him one. yeah but that's they don't the one seem
2: one. enamored with no. him they're not like chasing him hard and a couple other teams are reaching out big like new orleans cuz they wanted to trade for him at the deadline so he might go there and that'd be a pretty good spot but but you need a I, I mean i think a quarterback with like aaron rodgers and this might be where you were going with that paul you know that's the type of of signal caller uh, passer you know, the personality, I mean, get into all the Aaron Rodgers personality stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, he he can command that that offense, command that team, regardless of a personality as big as OBJ's, right? And so, yeah, I th- that's probably the best landing spot. I think OBJ sees that too, but, I mean, I mean we'll see. I just, it'll be intriguing. I don't think it's going to make a major fantasy impact this year. He might squeeze in and, and kind of... F- float into your deep wide receiver three range, maybe a flex play, but I just don't see him coming in and being OBJ, right? Like I just, that that's probably not in there, Uh, at least this year. Um, So let me touch on Justin Jefferson, the guy who's having so much fun playing football. He's windmilling his way down the field, trying to Mm -hmm. make a block for Talvin Cook. I mean, if I were to tell you right now, so, so Jamar Chase, right. Darling, if I were to tell you right now that he was going to have a, you know, 11, 1200 passing or receiving yard year with, you know, hand, like a good eight to 10 touchdowns, those kind of fluky stats. Like, you know, would you just all of a sudden be off of him? Like I wouldn't, I just, you know, receivers go through this kind of stuff. I don't, Justin Jefferson is an extremely talented wide receiver who has done things that we haven't seen before from from receivers in the NFL as a rookie. So, nah, I, I'm not worried. I, I'm still pretty happy with him. It's you're not always going to get the top end elite. Per, like you're looking at it with Patrick Mahomes right now, you might have the most elite players at the position not giving you your most elite numbers. And that just kind of happens for stretches, but it doesn't mean that I'm off of them by any means. Um, And maybe since, since I'm contractually obligated to talk about Brandon Ayuk, I take offense at the categor the categorization that you said about him slowly regaining his place in this offense, because I don't know about you guys, he was playing out of his mind last weekend and, and there was those fumbles. The offense really shot themselves in the foot. You got 17 points on the Cardinals, you know, that could have been 31 points. You know, they, they were, they just gave up some untimely mistakes, but to Brandon Iuke and like what he has done specifically, just incredible catches, creating the space he needs for his quarterback, being a reliable target in big moments, I mean, he had that fumble, but the catch right before that, and he bailed Jimmy G out on a high throw. Really just going up, grabbing that ball, coming down on a big play. He doesn't fumble that. They're in the they're their first and goal. Debo is dealing with a calf. That's something that we know Debo deals with is is injuries. I don't know that there's enough firepower in this offense for him and Kittle and Debo to all go off on the same time, but they're all very talented players. I think we're starting to see signs of the offense that we envisioned that Kyle Shanahan envisioned to begin the year. It's for this team. It just hasn't all clicked at the same time. And, and in this case, the past weekend, it was self-inflicted wounds that just untimely untimely major mistakes but the pieces are there and they're gelling I, I'm I'm still like I I think we we talked about it at the beginning of the year I was buying Iuk I'm still happy with that I have no regrets I certainly think that you know some people are probably looking at this as a time to, finally get out when there's that where they can still get some of that value back without having to sell for dirt cheap. Well, that, you know, that's a great opportunity again, for me to say, I'm still going out and buying Brandon Ayuk because what you see on the football field is an extremely talented wide receiver in the veins of like a Jerry Judy ask a Calvin Ridley ask type player who I think could, could be that. I, I mean, it, it's up in the air exactly what his role will be and how he'll be able to fill that. But he's open and he's catching footballs. And I think that's all. And, and he's blocking. Like, he's doing all the other things you want a receiver to do, too. He's he's blocking his his ass off. And, you know, I he's uh, – I'm happy with Brandon Ayuk. I think he's going to keep doing good things. And, and that's – the 40, 49ers organization wants him there doing the stuff he's doing now. They're happy with him. They're happy with his growth and progress. I'm going to believe them on that.
0: Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'd be buying him too. Brandon Hick was a guy that I, I stood on the table for and was a fan of when he was coming to the draft. He was one of those guys. I, I mentioned it earlier that this year it'll be Wendell Robinson and, and the Smiths of the world, the analytics community hated Brandon Ayuk. The the they the Devi Twitter community hated Brandon Ayuk because he was a JUCO transfer, a one year wonder. And I watched the talent, the film, and said, "Wow, this guy is a, a special mover. This guy's a a weapon." And then last year, he was unbelievable and showed even more skill than I think anybody thought he even had in his arsenal. So I'm right there with you. I think it's worthy of a conversation but but i i think he's a guy that i'd still want to buy because i still think he's too talented uh you know not to reemerge to be a real fantasy force again you know whether it's wide receiver 2 wide receiver 3 i think we're going to get back there in time whether it's this year i don't know but i still i still think we're going to get back there for sure and Matt before i bring it over to you i will say this and you know, it might just be, you know, more, you know, on top of everything. I don't know what Antonio Brown's foot issue is going on. It's still in a walking boot. They didn't play last week, but I'm not going to rule out the possibility. And this might sound ridiculous. If by the time people listen to this, OBJ's already signed with a team. I'm not going to put it past Tampa Bay. They are all in. They're like all in, right? They're doing anything and everything for Tom Brady. And. I could see a scenario if the AB foot issue is something significant. Significant meaning four weeks more, six weeks more, do they feel like it could be the season. We don't know. They've been very, you know, quiet on on the Antonio Brown front in terms of how severe it is. But I wouldn't be stunned if, if Beckham says, I'm going to go there for the rest of the year, try to win a championship, make plays in the playoffs, and then try to write my ticket in free agency after helping the Bucs win another Super Bowl. Wouldn't put it past him. And I know he probably wants the Rams too, even though, you know, I don't know, would he push Van Jefferson down to number four in the depth chart? I'm not sure. Uh, Green Bay makes the most sense though, if they want him. They need a second guy. He could probably step in and be their number two immediately. Aaron Rodgers is the type of, quarterback and prestige that he has that he's not going to OBJ is not going to be showing him up Uh, at this point. I think, I think OBJ might really need a quarterback on that grandiose scale, right? You know, not that Seattle would want him right now, but like Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, like, you know, Patrick Mahomes, like, I don't know why the chiefs aren't interested. They're dying for another playmaker. They should be very much in in the Odell Beckham Suikin. Uh, sweepstakes because they have Tyree kill and, and Travis Kelsey and they can't have, and no one else has emerged there. So I, I, I think the KC should even be involved there. I think that's the kind of team and kind of quarterback that would make sense for OBJ down the home stretch here. And then if he wants to try to get his money in free agency, that's a different story in the off season. But if I was him, I'd pick one of these spots, try to attach myself to what should be a good offense, a great quarterback, a team going to the playoffs probably, and, and try to, you know, reestablish my brand and, and my, my, my career, because right now it's, it's in dire straits. Matt, any thoughts on either OBJ or any of those other names?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll just go quickly down the line. OBJ, silent assassin, waiting to see where he goes. I think uh, the Bucks make a lot of sense, um, but I, I think the Packers is probably going to be where he ends up going anyway. I, I'm buying. I'm still buying. I've been buying. I continue to buy. I can't find any sellers because I happen to be in a league where nobody wants to sell me him. But um, I, do, I do think that you're 100% right, Jeff. I'm buying all the way. Justin Jefferson – I'm not sure what the concerns are. I mean, he's going to have 1200 yards he's projecting right now for, and pretty much almost the same season as last year, maybe even more touchdowns. Uh, LaVisca Chenault, I you know, I still believe in LaVisca Chenault. I'm not sure what's going on. I think Jacksonville itself is, is in a, is in a moment of emotional turmoil. Um, so I mean, you know, I, I, I would buy LaVisca. I'd still be buying LaVisca. I, I don't think I would be shying away from him. So if somebody's selling, I'm buying and, DPJ, I mean, listen, Donovan Peoples-Jones is, you go back to, I I think it was, I want to say it was, um, let's see, it was, I think it was when he had like, you know, two catches for like, you know, what is it, four catches for like 101 yards or something to that effect with the two touchdowns, honestly, those catches were insane. When you watch them on film, they weren't like your run-of-the-mill catch. It's not like he was wide open, ladies and gentlemen, and he was just catching this ball. They were insane. One was over the middle in like a situation where he was getting tackled from behind while making the catch. And he just threw his body up there and made the catch and came down with it. I I mean this when I say this. The Browns have a player. They have a real player at wide receiver. He is very good. He looks way better than he did at Michigan, and he looks different and better than he did in high school. I think the Browns would be foolish to let this potential opportunity go with him because I think he's everything they need in terms of continuing to grow this offense and move forward. He is phenomenal at what he was doing. Now, people will say, well, You know, he just made a couple of catches on some limited opportunity. As of right now, I mean, when you look at him like over his career there, he's been doing nothing but catching the ball. I mean, on 38 targets, he has 29 receptions. How many balls do you want the guy to catch before you you give him a chance to catch it in a regular time frame? And he has over 21 yards per reception. So you're talking about him getting targeted deep, making those tough catches in contested situations. And he's got five touchdowns to speak of. And he's literally only started five games. Started five games, got five touchdowns. I mean, do we do we really need to go into the analytical del- doldrums to try to figure out whether or not the answer is yes, to keep Donovan Mitchell jones on the field? Um, because I don't think we need to. And I think the quality of the catches that he's made in the games speak for themselves. And, Paul, I'll, I'll kind of leave it here with a, a player that you don't have here. Everybody's, again... Um, still abandoning ship on on Brian Edwards, and I understand why. I, I definitely, I definitely get it. He's not a fit for whatever reason. He's just Derek Carr just can't find his way into the world of throwing to Brian Edwards. Or I don't know he why.
2: Throw to Devonte Adams though. He called him Devonte Adams, right?
1: Where? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, they get hundred percent right. So I don't, I don't understand this love affair, this like love affair that went sideways. I'm not sure what happened here. I don't get it. I'm not sure. People are like, well, he's not getting open and he's not open at all. I I don't know. Donovan Peebles Jones wasn't really open when he caught those balls. I mean, he he got to throw to the guy that you think is going to dominate the catch point. So anyway, I just wanted to kind of share those things as we close out, Paul, because Brian Edwards, it may not materialize when it comes to the Raiders. They may use him as trade bait and throw him away. I'm still keeping him until I know that he's had the fair shake and he doesn't deserve a chance here. But four targets in the game, I don't see that as a fair opportunity. Just That's just me, but I'll leave yeah, it Yeah, I
0: mean, and now the, the opportunity is there even more so now, obviously, with Henry Ruggs, no longer with the team. And I will say this, though, and I think this has been probably one of his – concerns that people have had about Derek Carr most of his career is he's not a guy who's going to throw somebody open and he's not a guy who's going to just let it rip and let his receiver go get it it's why Hunter Renfro and him is a match made in heaven right because he wants to throw the ball 8 to 12 yards to a guy who's open and Hunter Renfro is a great route runner who gets open Darren Waller as a tight end, creates crazy separation because he's a former wide receiver playing tight end now. So it's not a great it's not a great mesh of quarterback talent and what type of quarterback he is compared to what skill set Brian Edwards has, right? It, it, it's just not like some quarterbacks are willing to put the ball up and let your guys go and get it. That's not ever been Derek Carr. In in terms of what he does. It's why he's always had pretty good turnover numbers and stuff like that, because he just he's not that type of quarterback, right? So I, I I wonder if that's part of it, right? Someone says, Oh, Brian Edwards is not getting open, but Brian Edwards might never be a guy who's got crazy separation. He's a guy who wins in a way, and I'm not saying he's gonna be as talented, but Kenny Galladay doesn't really get open either, and he never really got open, even in Detroit much, but he was a dominant player at the catch point. Vertically down the field, Kenny Galladay made a career for himself and got mega money in free agency because Matthew Stafford was the type of quarterback that would push the ball vertically, that would give his receiver a chance to go get it and make a play. So right now, I think Brian Edwards' skill set doesn't really mesh well with with Carr. So I think that's the issue that we're having right here, but he's too talented and there's too much opportunity right now in Las Vegas not to kind of, you know, kind of wait it out and, and see what happens there. So there it is, guys, the Dynasty Fantasy Report for this week, all four segments in the books. Hopefully you enjoyed this show. Uh, if you are enjoying the coverage that we are providing here, please get over to the website. SS football is the quickest and easiest way to get there. Check on the premium content tab. And for $9.99, you get access to all three of our premium notebooks. The scouting notebook and the rankings notebook you get immediately. Rankings notebook has all our different rankings updated regularly. Uh, the scouting notebook has about 80. Player profiles, detailed write-ups on draft-eligible prospects that will continue to be updated and more guys will continue to be added. The three guys that we did last week in the deep dive, those will be the first three names added to the mix. There will be updates and edits. Uh, to many of the guys that are in there. So if you see something that might not gel perfectly with the rankings right now, it's just probably because I haven't gotten back around to updating it during the season yet, like maybe changing the draft projection on Spencer Rattler at a round one or at a top 10. But that is accounted for on the rankings where you would see him significantly lower on the draft eligible rankings now based on what's been going on, you know, during this college football season. But the Scotty notebook will be updated uh, with thoughts based on how they perform this year as well. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of Jeff, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward to next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.